Hey listeners, Alex here. The next four minutes is small talk, which is related to our last section on cryptocurrency in Thailand. Feel free to skip ahead to the intro if you are not interested. Okay, how, how, was, how was your day? It was good? Oh, busy, man. <laughs> yeah, so how much to do no this weekend. weekend? The listing was like... a new token. Yeah, it just feels so unready. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's always, it's always like that. It's always like that, you know, then... Welcome to yeah. the startup life. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, it, will it go up? Will people actually buy it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's the, that's a tricky part about it, right? Yeah. You guys are building off Ethereum or what, what are you guys doing? We're trying to build our own chain. So, so. Build your own big, chain. Wow. Yeah. So, but that chain won't be until next year. And so like the new exciting thing for us is, um, it sort of become clear, like literally the last month of what our key killer feature is going to be. Uh, so we're working with like the founder of Stellar. Uh, he's a professor at Stanford and then him and like his students who are now we are onboarding to, to, to our company, uh, and they built this technology that would in theory wise, uh, when they test it out, not on a chain, but on like a physical hardware would allow our decentralized exchange to process up to 100,000 TPS. So transaction per second. So um, if we could do that, right? Like the, like obviously it will be super, super fucking fast. Uh, well, but that, that was the whole thing with Solana, right? Like it's way yeah. more efficient than Ethereum. Right? Yeah, so but you're it, trying to, you're trying to go like way bigger than that. <laughs> well, Solana, I think the top speed was 40,000 transaction per second. So we could achieve like 100,000. But I, what we want to do, uh, is obviously the, the high speed chain is going to help, but I think the opportunity for the DEX is there's so many DEXs out there. Uh, there's hard, like different, like liquidity is sitting in different places. Right. So yeah, we, we want to build our cross chain like tool, uh, and eventually develop into like an inter exchange between the DEXs. So cross chain exchange, uh, inter DEXs, uh, and then also allow for cross chain arbitrage. Cause if you look at it, like, you okay. know. The prices on different exchanges are are different, um, and you know they and it, okay. and then obviously not something that we talk about, but it's probably going to be bought arbitrage, because uh, like similar to like equities trading hedge fund, where like you know large majority of that volume comes from bought trading, yeah. like like probably for cryptocurrency, like even nowadays there's a lot of bot trading, right? But I think yeah. it's quite difficult because like if, if, if the transaction doesn't happen straight away, then it'll be kind of difficult to, to make, cause it's, it's a volume gate, right. And getting that marginal different like spread. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think the, the, uh, the technology itself could be used for things like the CBDC as well, uh, central bank, you know, digital token, a mm. uh, digital currency, uh, cause. Uh, oh, yeah. something I have to look Th into, Thailand, right? Thailand's working in Malaysia. Yeah. Because yeah. if, if, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense because I think I'm, I haven't really dug deep but from what I hear, like, even within Southeast Asia, like the FX trade is ridiculous. Like the spread between, for example, yeah, Thailand yeah. and Philippines is like 60% yeah, yeah, yeah. spread or something like that, which is ridiculous, right? Like, you yeah. know, like, like it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, it's probably, but there's an opportunity when it's oh. like a that logic gap. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a lot of middlemen, a lot yeah. of institute, a lot of inefficiencies with technology. Yeah. So, 
But then even okay. if you, you I mean, have a CBDC, yeah. you you still need somebody to help settle that in like in Correct. real time. Yeah. yeah. So I, know, maybe well, I, we I, I mean we could we could talk about it later, but I, I I did meet someone who runs one of the largest brokerages for crypto. Um yeah. it's based out of Singapore. It's like a fund and they just they just transact the volume. But um but uh anyway, let's uh, let's let's start then I guess. Yeah, yeah. Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia. After more than a decade of venture building, bootstrapping, scaling, and now investing in Southeast Asia, I sit down with founders, investors, and entrepreneurs who share their hard-earned lessons and stories for the benefit of the Asia ecosystem and beyond. Today, we get to hear from Koropat Arunandichai, or simply Pat. For those who are not familiar with Thai names, usually they're very long and most people have shorter nicknames, so we'll just go with Pat. Pat is CEO and project lead of EveryNet.io. E-V-R-Y-N-E-T.io. Just a small note before we begin, we had some bad internet connection during the interview, so Pat's microphone might sound a little bit scratchy. For anyone interested in the Thai startup and VC ecosystem, this episode was made for you. In this episode, we cover corporate innovation in Thailand. Most recently, one of Thailand's major banks went through a major restructuring. We decided not to name the bank as we were recording this episode towards the end of 2021, when it was very fresh news. Some of the conversation could have been somewhat sensitive since Pat knows some of the stakeholders personally. However, you can easily Google the news today of the bank restructuring and find out which bank it was, especially since they've made some huge investments in early 2022 in foreign ventures. After discussing corporate innovation, we talk about venture capital, the ecosystem, and how Thailand is a very corporate venture capital country. Pat shares the pros and cons of this type of ecosystem and his experience being a venture capitalist in Thailand. We also cover the other spectrum and discuss what kind of founders are building in Thailand and how one can succeed in the market. For the last section, we do a deep dive into Pat's current project, EveryNet.io, which is a startup that enables developers and businesses to build unlimited number of centralized and decentralized finance applications. We cover the state of crypto in Thailand, DeFi, regulation, and much more. If you're ready to learn, let's dive in and listen. All right. Welcome to the show, Cora Pat. You're, you're going to have to help me with uh, your last name. Arun Arunandachai? Arunandachai, yeah. And you can call me Pat. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So everyone everyone probably just calls you Pat, right? Everyone has like the nickname in Thailand. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, so just for a quick background, you're currently a project lead at EveryNet, which is a crypto company that's creating a DeFi network of products and services. Yep. Uh, so we're trying to be the CD5 platform for financial services applications. Uh, and then we're launching uh, our token soon. And then next month, we're launching our, our decentralized exchange as well. Yeah, definitely something exciting stuff. We'll probably talk about crypto towards the end. Uh, but before uh, every net, you were head of business development at a VC company based in Thailand called K2 Ventures, right? Yeah, uh, K2 Venture Capital. Uh, we want to be specific here because there's actually a lot of K2 Ventures, oh, K2 okay. VC sort of out there. Um, but yeah, so we were, um, uh, it's sort of like a, uh, I guess you're fairly financial, but it was a joint venture between a Thai company and a Singapore listed company as well. Uh, and then we were listed, we were focusing on investment, uh, in the end, we've made two investments in FinTech, uh, one in, in Thailand and one in Indonesia. Uh, so it was CBC and it seemed pretty focused though. Cause if you only have two investments, that means yeah. you guys are probably running the businesses as well. Uh, we were quite focused. Um, so the, I guess you can see as a CVC, uh, we don't, we have a bit more freedom in terms of operations. So, um, we don't have a strategic mandate. Uh, so it's purely financial yeah. gains. Um, 
the mandate okay. also include a venture building arm. So towards the end of my time there, we were focusing on venture building rather than investment. So that's why you know, the, the sort okay. of investment was like, uh, was only at two. All right, perfect. I mean, we'll definitely talk into VC much deeper later on as well. I think a lot, a lot to unpack there, what you said. Uh, but before that, you also did a company in Silicon Valley called uh, Creative Ventures for five months. Was that with your MBA or was that after? Yeah, so that was after my MBA. Uh, so I moved out, uh, got connected to this Thai guy who uh, uh, was trying to set up a fund. Uh, and his theory was interesting. Uh, his theory was um, he wanted to invest into into U.S. companies, uh, into deep tech companies, and then bridge that technology over to Southeast Asia, where if he invests into early companies, it's almost easier for them to find a use case and find that first big contract out in Southeast Asia, where uh, you convince like the owner, where you know, it's still like sort of like a a very uh, quick turnaround in terms of decision making, where you convince one person, you can convince like the top group mm -hmm. to implement. Uh, whereas in America, you want to do something like infrastructure, right? You go through, you know, that this whole long sales process uh, of middle management, yeah. upper management, you know, uh, which is kind of difficult. And I think um, that thesis worked quite well for him. Uh, he actually ended up you know, raising quite a bit of money on his second fund uh, from corporates in Thailand. And I think he made a lot of good investment uh, in construction in, 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 in something that, you know, that, that works quite well. And, and I think he also, uh, uh, worked out a big contract with one of the construction company with a real estate company here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sounds like from, from, from like, maybe it's just your, your experience in your network, but it sounds like the flavor of VC seems a little bit different. Uh, speaking at a local level for Thailand, it seems a lot of corporate ideas involved. And I, I, to be fair, I guess it makes sense. A lot of the conglomerates and the, the big families, right? It's all the wealth is kind of concentrated there. And that's where the innovation kind of needs to happen. So I guess, again, we'll talk about that later. Um, so before, after, yeah, so before uh, Creative Ventures was Inspire Ventures for during your MBA internship where you did yep. your MBA at Georgetown and you did your undergraduate at Bucknell, which is a top tier university in America, I guess, ranked 38. So quite, <laughs> well, quite up there. Uh, I, I, it's a <laughs> uh, it was a small liberal arts school. I, I enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Yeah. But well, yeah. hard. Most people haven't heard of it in, in Asia, so it was kind of always like, oh, yeah, I yeah, went to correct. a, yeah. Because when it's in Pennsylvania, it's like, oh, you can't. And I'm like, no, 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 it wasn't, you can't. <laughs> Dude, that's my problem. I say New York. They're like, NYU? Yeah. I say no. They're like, Columbia? I'm like, no. Have you heard of a Jesuit school called Fordham? Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. Well, to be fair, Fordham's ranked much lower than Bucknell, so um, at least people in the East Coast would know, I guess. Yeah, it was mostly people from like New York, Connecticut, you know, Pennsylvania, yeah, right. Philadelphia, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so uh, let's let's tackle our first topic, which we decided was around corporates, corporate innovation. Uh, I guess to a degree, CVC, like you mentioned. Um, most most recently, one of the larger financial institutions, uh, banking institution, um, has gone under some restructuring. We we can't be too specific, I guess, uh, but we could talk around you know the, the macro picture and what's going on. Uh, so, what exactly happened with uh, you know some of these banks? Why are they restructuring, and what what is the impact? Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess that's a lot to unpack. Um, first, I guess we want to touch on the corporate side uh, in Thailand, uh, just because I think in Thailand, the, it's still very dominant by big corporations. Uh, most mm -hmm. funds that I know of here is mostly a corporate venture capital funds. Um, very, very few that, are, that, ha that doesn't have a, a corporate fund. I guess one that comes to mind is maybe 500. Uh, and that's because they have a Silicon Valley mm -hmm. brand. 
Uh, but you know, I think recently they they did open up. You know, recently they just announced a fund with one of the Thailand's largest conglomerate you know, subsidiaries uh, of of the conglomerate. Um, As an LP, right? Uh, they run the so the conglomerate is an LP. Uh, um, I think 500 had, had a, a run as, as a GP. Okay. Yeah, Cause the first, the first fund for 500 in Malaysia, which I think probably was a region or maybe it was a Singapore, not too sure, but, um, it was from also family business type money, but as, mm -hmm. as an LP, the, I mean, it's like a traditional fund structure, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess 500 is just partnering more with this kind of money, but it's not like they're doing an official strategic CBC or anything like this. Right. No. Uh, so it's supposed to be, I mean, it's, I, and this gets into the wider issue of CVCs in, in that I think it's a very blurred lines in terms of being purely financial mm. and having strategic, uh, yeah. all of them sort of, sort of say, you know, it's a strategic and financial, yeah. but, but you, you know, obviously when, when, when certain situation comes up and you just have to choose between the two, right? So. It's mm. sometimes it's not always both in due decision making, and that's the yeah. issue even with this fund that I can see with five hundred because they do say it's strategic, and you split really it in a way that like yeah like obviously you know you can leverage on this ecosystem, uh you can you know for startups to grow yeah. it makes sense yeah you can tie them to it, but if there's a strategic like aspect to any deal making then. It's not purely financial, right? And there could be times where there's yeah. conflicts. Well, if you make enough money, it's always strategic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but back to I the, mean, I think what? the original, the restructuring. So uh, the other part yeah. that that's quite big here is the regulations. Uh, so I think personally, I think it was a really smart move for them to restructure because uh, I think what what they did before was uh, the bank was the holding company and all these other corporate venture arm, uh, technology arm was under the bank. And what happens is mm -hmm. all these uh, subsidiaries are then classified as part of the bank and, and then also being yeah. monitored and having restrictions as the bank, uh, which is, you know, in any, in any countries, I guess, uh, uh, when you're controlled by the, the central bank, there always tends to yep. be more conservative, uh, more red tapes that you, you can and can't do. Uh, for example, like I never quite uh, know whether this is true, but from what I've heard is that there's actually a regulation where uh, you can't make a loss on the investment. <laughs> and then they use yeah. that as sort of like an investment term when they invest into startups. <laughs> you can't lose your money and then you, you know, they end up having, asking like, you know, some aggressive terms, I would say. Uh, but yeah. you know, now that yeah. they spit it out, you know, they have a holding company, so the bank is separate. And in a way, it 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 frees up the subsidiaries more to to do other things right. uh, without having this red red tape. Red, red tape. But yeah. but it's also interesting, uh, specifically because this this bank also uh, one of the one of the spin off is their own sort of venture building uh, that does that does micro lending, uh, alternative lending, mm. uh, to be more specific. Uh, and they just actually just raise money from outside investors as well. Uh, but yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, I've been, you know, since, you know, I, you know, we invested, uh, in my prior role at K2, we invested into microfinance platform. So we know the issues with license 
uh, here in Thailand and yeah. some, some other issues, right? So if you're in a microfinance and obviously one is you need that that license uh, uh, in some ways yeah. that allows you to do the lending. Uh, in Thailand, you know, this is something that I think was an issue for a long time. Uh, if you follow closely, you know that they were supposed to come up with some sort of, you know, peer-to-peer -peer license uh, since 2016. Yeah. Uh, it kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. Uh, eventually in 2000, I think late 18, they come up with sort of this sandbox um, for, for getting the license. But as far as I know, nobody ever successfully came, like either never went into the sandbox or successfully came out from the sandbox with a license. And I think that's because one of the hurdles that you have to get over is this thing where they want the bank to be the custodian of any money before you know, the, mm. that money gets transferred to the, the borrowers. Uh, and the issue is, you know, if you're a platform, you want that to do some sort of a digital account, uh, a temporary account that just holds the money. And it's just no incentive for any banks to do it for the platform. Uh, it's, you know, it doesn't make any money, money. It doesn't make, so I, I think that's one of the issues where yeah, I see what you mean. You need a bank as a partner to do this for you, but no banks would ever do it yeah. for you. So like it just gets stuck there. The other issue is that uh, Thailand has a interest rate cap uh, for credit cards at twenty eight percent. I think for personal lending it might be fifteen. I'm not sure, uh, but if you get you know a different type of license that you can you know uh, lend up to thirty three, thirty eight percent. There's two types of licenses, uh, but it's quite hard. So one of them uh, you have to apply per province per one license, so that restricts you. Wow. But you have to like, if you if you do just Thailand and uh, just Bangkok, then you have to apply for Bangkok. But if you do like Bangkok and Chiang Mai, you have to apply for two licenses. Yeah. And that adds up to the cost as well. And then there's this regulation. Okay. I think also you have to have certain amount of registered capital, which is quite high, you know, uh, something that a startup, you know, without any new startup, without any funding would not be able to achieve. Uh, uh, the other license, I think technically is supposed to be called a product productive loan. Uh, so it's supposed to go for, uh, not for consumption loan, right? For, you know, something that yeah. you know, for work or you know, whatnot. Uh, but I'm not sure how strict they are with that. Um, this specific subsidiary venture loan of the, of the bank, you know, uh, when I look into it there, they said they, yeah, I was curious, right? <laughs> so I went to look at in yeah. terms of like how much they charge is that up to 32%. So I presume it's like this productive loan license, uh, okay. but I wonder because the way, the way they understand the marketing is that it doesn't market as a productive loan per se. Um, mm -hmm. but anyways, the economics might work. I'm not sure if they can, you know, they can probably do it. Uh, but the other issue uh, coming back to, if you do a microfinance is the issue of liquidity, like where do you get that liquidity, right? So if you go to like, yeah. typically, you know, you go to family offices or institutional that, that, that lends you money and they typically charge, you know, 20%, 25% annually. Uh, so if you, if you look at that, uh, so if you get your cost of capital of 20%, right. And, and you can charge up to 33%. Uh, that spread is still yeah. quite small for, you know, in terms of like, if there's a default rate, uh, your, your cost of, you know, your operational costs, you know, any, your marketing costs. So it, 
personally, I don't think the, the economics makes sense uh, for Thailand if you were mm -hmm. to go through that route. And maybe that's why you don't see any big, you know, homegrown microfinance platforms. You only see either mm -hmm. a, a foreign player uh, that comes into this market. So I think Funding Society did quite well. I think they just raised money as well. They're now in Thailand. They claim they did like 3 billion US, uh, quite significant. Uh, for Thailand? For Thailand, uh, I'm not sure. Like, like the the uh, it must be my, total. I think it must be total. My reading from reading it, it sounds like it's just Thailand, but I would be hard pressed to think that it's just for Thailand because I don't think they've been here for that long. And no, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you see, like a corporate player. Uh, the interesting, and this sort of leads into the next part, right? Is that I feel like the corporate players uh, wants to do the wants to do it all. Right. So, uh, when mm. you work with corporate players, like they'll say, like, then, you know, they're investing to you. You think that by them giving you money, they'll be invested into your success. Uh, yeah. but it's not always true. Um, <laughs> uh, like it's, it's cause this, this bag in particular. And this is part I'm confused. When they announced this organization, they also announced that they're going to do a few other things. They have this venture, their own venture building that does alternative credit lending, but they also have another subsidiary that is a JV with a Chinese player that also does the same thing. And, yeah. and then they say they're going to partner with one of the luxury car dealership to offer another lending vehicle specifically for luxury items. Uh, so. I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking you're, you're, you're doing three things that are sort of in the same space. Yeah. What, what's, what's the structure look like on the back end though? Is, so it's completely new entity, not subject to the banking regulations, but they use the infrastructure of the bank. And what what's the idea then? Like they're trying to capture more user base to monetize further or like, it, it sounds, I mean, it sounds very messy. Like, especially so, like the way you discuss their, their licenses and whatnot. So before, right, it's a, uh, it's a bank, it's a listed company. Uh, and then all these other subsidiaries are just, uh, the bank is, a, you know, the, the sole shareholders of these subsidiaries. Yeah. So because of that, sheet. then, then they're considered like part of the bank, right? So there's a lot of regulations yeah. they, they have to jump through and they can't do this. They can't do that. So the new restructuring is they take the bank out of the listed company, they structured another holding company on top of that, that one becomes a listed company. Uh, the bank okay, is wow. one of the subsidiary company, not on the stock exchange anymore. Uh, the bank becomes a cash cow. Mm. And then this holding yeah. company holds a bunch of these other entities uh, that are free now to do whatever they want because they're not restricted as the, it, it, as the bank anymore. It sounds like like an alphabet situation, right? You have your cash cow that runs, which is in banking, right? It's, it's a monopoly that just your, your lifetime value is like, you know, for the rest of your life because you unless you has such a bad experience or you move countries, you're not changing your bank. Right. And then, so yeah. it seems like they just run that monopoly and they, now they can make bets, uh, that's more flexible. And, but, but it seems like the governance all ties back to the bank. Right. So, or, 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 or like they have to appoint different people, uh, on the cap table or what does that look like? Um, I don't know. I think, I think the idea is that they'll, they'll try to, you know, they'll, they'll have a technology arm that does one thing. Um, I think the idea would be each of them operates independently, has its own management. Uh, the bank still holds the majority shareholding or sole shareholder yeah. of the companies. 
Um, but then they would operate on their own in certain cases. Like I think this micro lending, they would, you know, go out and raise funding as if their own startup, uh, as if it's their yeah. own company. Uh, but then they can sort of leverage. I think the alphabet type situation is, is probably close. It's, it's probably a very accurate, uh, comparison. Okay. Makes sense. And do you think they're, they're like, do you, with this kind of structure without like this kind of founder type narrative or Silicon, Silicon Valley type narrative, can they raise the institutional money to support this? You think like, it sounds very messy at the end of the day. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know whether they need the money. Um, That's you know, true. Yeah. business is still highly profitable in Thailand. Yeah. Um, and that's partly because, <clears throat> because they are, you know, the banking sector here is, is, I would say an oligopoly is still heavily protected. Yeah. You know, you have certain amount of licenses around, um, and that number never increases. So, <clears throat> and then you see a lot of banks just merge together. Um, I think it's smart yeah. for them to do this, uh, cause we all know, you know, if you're in technology, then you sort of have to hedge your bet. Like you're a cash cow now, but with how things are developing within blockchain or just technology itself, <clears throat> you don't know how, how long that, that is going to continue. So I think all the corporate in Thailand sees this, uh, and they're all, they're sort of having big interest in technology because they see it as a new future, uh, for them to not die out, uh, like sort of, they say, this is the new S curve, you know, uh, businesses yeah. that need to find to leverage on what they have. What, what in the market, was there a signal in the market? Is it just, there's too many unicorns coming out it's too frothy because like they, it's, they it seems like they sat on it for a while. And, and like you said, no one was interested in getting the digital licenses, um, for the, for banking because there was no incentive or maybe the lending licenses that were separate. Right. But now they're completely restructuring and it seems that now they can get the licenses. Um, well, was there a resurgence of interest well, or what is it for typical banks? they don't need the license, right? Because they can do lending. Uh, they might yeah, they have, have been rate, yeah. restricted in terms of what type of lending. I'm not too sure, uh, yeah. but it's easier for banks to do it, right? Because their cost of capital is very low. Like here, if you, yeah, correct. an individual going to deposit a bank, you get less than 1%. Uh, so, you know, 15% or even 20, 30% is massively lucrative for them uh, to do for yeah. that spread. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I I don't just think timing, an, I guess. it's just timing. Um, I think you know by I think it's a matter of them realizing and moving. I think the the issue is that it's probably a smart move to do anyways. Uh, to have done this yeah. a while back, but I think this just sort of goes through this trial and error of like, uh, you know, because they have their own corporate venture capital for four or five years now. And they probably true, went yeah. through learning, learning that, you know, uh, we've been doing this way, uh, but we've been restricted. Uh, I think they were, they went through a lot of trials and error. They probably found a lot of limitations in how they yeah, operate. The, the I think learnings, one of the yeah. key, one of the key things was I think blockchain, where if you're, you know, when you're a bank and regulate heavily under Bank of Thailand, maybe there's an issue with them holding actual cryptocurrency on their balance sheet. I'm not sure. Mm, uh, but, be, I, yeah. but I, but I imagine, you know, that, that possibly, you know, could be a thing. Uh, so that's probably one of the things they find that they don't, they're being restricted by certain regulations. So spinning out is probably the best thing for them to do. Uh, yeah. but you know, it takes time to one, go through the process, finding out the, the, you know, the downfalls of being under a bank and then convincing the, 
the people on top to say, hey, we need to think about ways to restructure, you know, and yeah. even you know, the top, you know, the top management yeah. buys into it, then there's still an issue of like figuring out exactly how to do it, talking to the back of Thailand, because imagine, you know, it's a big thing, uh, talking to stocks exchange to your list company. So there's a lot of issues, yeah. there's a lot of things that you probably have to work, you know, moving parts that you have to do before you actually execute it. So that's probably why it took so long for them to come to this conclusion. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack with the licensing, like so much, because it's kind of weird that the either it's a situation where the, the regulators thought there wasn't any viable company they should give licenses to, or, or there weren't enough companies or there was no interest. And at the same time, you would think that the government, like regulators would want to have like a national hero and, yeah. you know, someone should be leading the tech forward. Um, yep. so it kind of begs the question, like, you know, why was, why was not oversubscribed? I could tell you, for example, like Malaysia oversubscribed, like, and the fact that like the, the licenses that are probably being rolled out by the end of this year were given to local, like, uh, big family businesses who have the connections with politicians and they know how to sell it to the politicians, they have the connections, they get the meetings. Yeah. But then these guys load it out to the platform companies, right? So yep. if you probably look yeah. un under the hood for certain countries will not be the same, but like, uh, for example, maybe Shopee or Grab got it from a local family instead. Right. And mm -hmm. then yeah. I know for a fact, like uh, CIMB, one of the largest uh, banking companies in Southeast Asia, the largest, one of the largest in Malaysia, they did digital banking in Vietnam and Philippines. So my, one mm -hmm. of my episodes, I talked to the guy who rolled it out. So it seems that Thailand's very protectionist, but at the same time, not right. Cause they're not giving out the licenses. So what, what's your take on what's going on? Oh, uh, I think, yeah, protectionism is probably the right, uh, mind mindset, uh, uh, part of it. Uh, I think back of Thailand has their more conservative ways to look at this because you know they don't want if you if you give out this micro lending finance you know freely what you see what happens in indonesia right you see a lot of chinese players you know uh <laughs> that goes in and obviously True. there's a lot of scams uh that happens predatory lending you know that goes into that so who ends up getting hurt on this is the people you know grassroots level people uh who ends up you know in this source cycle of debt uh so I would say the backup time probably doesn't want to add to that problem that already exists. They want to make sure that if they were yeah. to roll it out, they want to roll it out correctly and making sure, and you know, it goes back to the custodian part. Like the reason why they want to do that is because it's because if you, if the platform pulls the money, there's no regulation that touches mm. it. So if the money gets lost, yeah. it's just lost. Right. But if it's yeah. in the bank where it's under some sort of regulatory, like already there's a regulatory framework for that, then you're more yeah. protected for that amount True. of money. Uh, yeah. And because of these, either through design or either intention or unintentionally, what always happens is you have a local big player who jumps into this and does yeah. it themselves. Uh, so, you know, the downside, I guess, is the speed uh, of when this gets changed, uh, some innovation gets lost, uh, probably. But on the flip side, right, in terms of the national interest, uh, you do have a local hero player that becomes a dominant in this new market versus if you were to open up, then you get a bunch of these foreign companies who comes in and then maybe you end up relying on these uh, foreign companies uh, on something sensitive like money. Uh, and then maybe there's, you know, they'll make, you know, if you look at terms of like other companies, like the, uh, 10 Thailand, um, Actually, I, I just saw this video and, you know, somebody said something that was very interesting in that if you look in terms of like the hundred most popular apps on the app that, that Thai yeah. people uses, 
they're all for it, except yeah. for banking apps, right? So mm -hmm. if you look at it, Line, right? Line, Facebook, yeah. YouTube, Google, all these companies dom dominate you know, the digital world, the digital habits, uh, lifestyle of Thai people. But in terms True. of tax that they pay to the country, it's probably very, very low or if not zero, mm. right? Because of the way these companies are structured. So from a, from a yeah. national point of view, like you don't want to give off all to the dominance of digital platforms to all outside players because you can't one guarantee that they'll play by the rules that you set uh, or you'll lose more money in terms of tax. And then, you know, when you're a country like in Thailand, you know, in Malaysia or, you know, whatever, that you don't have that, you know, leverage, you can say, I'm going to fight with Facebook to make sure that they pay their, you know, tax yeah. in Thailand for the revenue that happens in Thailand. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, yeah. we're not as united, like in the European Union, where, the, you know, with regulators going, you know, that said, you have to do this. Uh, and yeah. Facebook ends up having to comply in some ways. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so in that case, I, I can understand from the national, you know, from the national benefit point of view that it's probably better this way, uh, where you can still keep certain national assets, something sensitive, uh, within country. I mean, also his, historically speaking, it's almost in line with how the modernization of uh, Thailand came about after World War II, right? They, they've been pretty insular, right? They, they've been managed to retain their own, like, you know, uh, they weren't, you know, colonized completely, just had, you know, forces. They maintained their own sovereignty, this kind of stuff. And it seems like this kind of trend persists today. And I think the point about, you know, these big tech companies evading taxes kind of makes sense too, right? And like, at the end of the day, maybe this is an important facet to have the control to escape the middle income, right? Like, you know, yeah. Malaysia has been stuck in the middle income trap for so long. Thailand, it's a very good question. You know, they're, they're larger economy with a lot of resources too. So it's a question of, you know, can they get past beyond uh, the, the same problems that we've seen, whether it's a combination of, of corruption or just, you know, not, not enough value capture, either from taxes or from infrastructure being developed because you missed that out because you just allow this, a foreign aspect but at the same time you know you can't be like india where you hold out too long and it slows things down too much no. too where you then you don't compete on a global level right so it seems like a fine balance but um it does make sense and i think so that's a very good point like you no know, we, we we've seen the big platform players come in like grab and gojek and, and more recently gojek had to leave but air asia now wants to probably fill that gap um so it seems like it's going to get even more interesting with regulators and how, how more tech money comes in, more tech talent comes in. Also, while the local talent develops and these kind of big corporates also try to compete against them. So it seems that it's going to be very, very frothy. But so what, what, is, the, what is the impact then for, for the banks, for the entrepreneurs and for the investors? Like, how do you see this unfolding and, and developing the ecosystem? Yeah, so the ecosystem definitely has its own issue when you're so dominant uh, by CVCs. Uh, one is you look statistically, you say, Oh, there's X amount of money uh, from venture capital in this ecosystem, in that ecosystem. But you look closely, right? You know, in Thailand, if they're most CVCs, they're not, one, they're not restricted to just invest into Thailand. They don't have that focus. Their mandate is strategic. Yeah. Uh, and they, they look for deals, you know, across the world. Uh, second is because of that, because they need a strategic value, they tend to look at companies who are more mature that they can integrate into the system, you know, directly, you know, you, companies that have a deeper tech that 
didn't know they can't get. Mm. So when you know, when there's a company or early stage company, what happens is there's very little money that goes into actually Thai companies and actually early stage Thai companies. Mm. So it's almost like this vicious circle where you have companies uh, who can't grow because they don't have money to prove their yeah. business model and no traction. But at the same time, they can't they can't raise money because there's not enough traction to raise anything. Yeah. Uh, so companies that end up, you know, surviving are companies with founders who are connected, either using their own money or, you know, connected to yeah. uh, uh, investors that can give them that support uh, for them to build. And the second is what you end up seeing is that companies itself uh, starts becoming venture building arms as well and build their own companies because they're, they're more well-funded. Uh, in terms yeah. of talent, right? If you're if you're a talented person, uh, you know that the issue with raising money is difficult. Uh, you can't raise your own money, and you still have very strong ideas of what you want to build. Maybe the option is going to work for a bank and building that idea as a venture build because you're well supported yeah. in terms of finding tech talent, in terms of funding, in terms of partnership. So, yeah. well, the, so it's a, a question lot of, if you can compete as well, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, if without regulations, my startup do have advantage over big companies in terms of speed, decision making, and flexibility. Right? I think the typical yeah. advantage of a startup. Uh, but when it comes to something as heavily regulated as financial service industry or insurance, then then you're restricted by those regulations yeah. that you can't move as fast. So it, you know, in the end, it comes back to. Uh, ends up being the corporate itself does it because the regulation slows down everybody else and allows them to catch up. I mean, it almost seems like if you are, if you want to be a regional player, say you start in any Southeast Asian company, you really do need a profit machine because the ability to establish yourself and entrench yourself against the other entrenched players who have licenses, you need to make space for yourself. You need to get licenses yourself. You need, basically you need a profit machine to support uh, a, a, like a, a regional endeavor, which is very hard, or or you go like the grab route. You just raise billions of dollars, then you work top down, and then you try just you know use money to force your way into everything. Uh, so it sounds very very tough to get in. Yeah, but you know what? Even for grab, right? If you look in terms of grab, I know like the story is like this, you know, hard fought, built the company from zero. But to be honest, if if you know Anthony Tan wasn't from the family that he is, like would he be able to have raised that amount yeah. of money? Right from institutional. So in a way, you see the story where yeah, it starts from the sort of type. Uh, but I think it's interesting where once you have these companies, uh, once you have people who build enough experience, who goes through this sort of working at big companies, regional tech companies, yeah. then these people have the brand names, so some sort of connection, and that ecosystem almost born out uh, from these tech companies itself. Yeah. So like you, you probably you know or. An example of this, right? You know, a rocket company, yeah. or like one of the. I think, if, I think there were statistics where mm, the most amount of founders came from Rocket, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, right. I think, so I think you know, Rocket Company was almost like we discussed this earlier, almost like a college yeah, or right. like a boot camp for yeah. people to go through. Like if you're like, you know, if you're new to this whole game and you're just came out of college or just work your first job and you're interested in startups, it's very, very difficult for you to build your yeah. own startup. 
not not just funding, right? But even just expertise and running a business, like knowing how to like work the game, execute. So going through Rocket, I'm sure really helps you like really understand how the game works, how to execute things, not with your own dime, right? With with Rocket's money. Yeah, and once you learn all those yeah. lessons, then like it, it helps you immensely into like, you know, I've been through this. You know, I, I, I know how to yeah. work things out. I know to execute certain things. And this is my next idea of working it. And it makes sense uh, uh, in this case. It's definitely a big part of the equation, get, getting your feet wet. And it, it's only part of it. But, you know, if you keep building earnestly and genuinely, you you eventually, if you know, if you're focused, you keep digging the well, you pick up the other parts of venture building, whether it be product design, engineering, this kind of stuff, or working with these types of talent. And um, I, I would say that, you know, with that idea in mind, I think Thailand sounds like a very interesting place where, if you just go work for these CBCs, you get some also some experience building, right? So back like the rocket opportunities mostly more or less gone, right? It's it's like the yeah. next gen, like it's already entrenched. So it seems like you know if you want to have a similar experience, you can go to these types of venture builders in Thailand to get some experience, get get some you know building under your belt and build a you know to to a degree it's signaling and brand name if you want to raise money. Also, it's also how good you manage relationships you know throughout your career. Yep. Uh, so when you actually do build something, people just, you know, fund you faster, you know, versus doing you know, a lot of cold calls and people, oh, people always tell that story. Oh, I did 400 pitches, but honestly, the best raises I've seen happened within a few weeks because just people know each other. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I, I think it's, it's a different cycle and, and I think you're right. I think the ecosystems mature to a point where, uh, you know, these opportunities do exist, but they exist in different forms, you know, whether it be a CVC, whether it be a venture builder or working for these big tech companies in a sense is almost very similar. Right. Um, you know, albeit it's a little bit more corporate now, but you know, you again get that flavor. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the uh, the pitfall, right? It's yeah, you know, the Google pitfall that people talk about is once you join a corporate and you become too comfortable and you never want to leave. So you Very still true. need like all these yeah. people who have enough of like fire under their belly, like enough passion to say, you know, Correct. this is Correct. means to an end. This is not my end game. I'm not going to be a corporate person. Like I'm just working here to get the experience. The 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 technical know-how, the connections, and yeah. I'm going to build my own company in the future. And Southeast Asia is very unique in that because it's the, the talent is harder, as long as you have delivered value consistently through all the opportunities, people just want to keep paying you more. So it like the, the you know the risk of getting golden handcuffs become heavier and heavier with each other venture. And even now, like you know, with crossover funds, you know, BCG, McKinsey, they're building, you know, just like all these companies, like they're willing to pay that money and it, it could just lock you down. You know, so it's very hard. You know, you have to really intentionally think very hard about who you talk to, what the purpose is, where, what your goals are. For some people, it's okay. You know, it's a great career choice, safer. You know, you could do a little bit of a mix of, you know, you get the feeling of being a, a founder, but at the same time, you know, you never really get the equity of a founder. Um, you know, that is a viable career, I guess, uh, I guess for the yeah. next 10, 20 years, probably. Um, and then at the same time, you know, if you stick that route, you could also just lose the fire, the belly, like you said. So it's, it's yeah. a very fine line to walk. It's very, very dangerous if you're not careful. I think from an ecosystem point of view, like it, you have to have those options that, that is balanced in terms of risk and reward, right? If you, let's yeah. say you join a corporate route, uh, you want you're secure, but you get enough rewards enough that matches the risk. Uh, but you, at the yeah. flip side, you got to make sure that if somebody takes that risk, there's enough, mm -hmm. you know, there's enough, uh, 
upside for them that that they can see that is worth taking for them to take that risk. And it always takes somebody yeah. who's like a trailblazer who went through that and said, like, I Correct. did it. I went through that and I'm massively successful, massively compensated. Correct. Uh, and yeah. people can be inspired by that and see that th that route is also possible. Like I can leave my corporate mm -hmm. job, fund a company, uh, build a company, get possible to get you know, early stage funding for me to build out my ideas. And once I can do yeah. that, let's say like I work hard for three years, building this company, putting it out, then I'll be massively, you know, on the road to being massively, uh, successful and, you know, have a massive, you know, uh, upside in, in this venture that I built. Is that what happened with, uh, you, you leaving K2 ventures? You, you were there for almost close to five years, four, four years, four years, seven months, right? Yeah. And then uh, what did did you find that it was too stale? Uh, you know, you were losing a fire, or like what 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 happened of you you leaving VC and, and I mean, moving to a startup? I mean, you're in VC. Um, the economics is always better when you're if you're getting on early on a startup. But as a as a Correct. successful far, startup founders, you're obviously if you're successful. As a start, you know, hinges on being a successful startup. But you getting yeah. equity would be massively more lucrative for you than if you were in a in a VC and not as a partner, right? Or even as a partner, maybe Correct. you're not. If the fund is not large, then sometimes you don't make as much money. Correct. So it it's it's almost uh, it's the same analogy of what we talked about, right? So yeah, you can work in VC. Uh, you can have the cushion of like having um, being on the buy side. Uh, you know you you can get some sort of carry or profit sharing of your investment but in the end yeah. even if you make a profit of those uh you know that that's a successful startup that you invested the founders and people early um early employees are still yeah. getting massively more compensated but you know again they took more risk right because if the startup fails they Correct. have very little to, yeah. to rely on yeah. You could be mediocre in the VC for a decade easily and still make some decent money. Like not 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 maybe like as much as a startup founder or an early employee, but you know you're not going to be poor and you could you could roll it to the next fund, right? So I think yeah. a lot of people just kind of ride the waves decade to decade, even if they don't, even if they don't distribute money back to the LPs or even you know it's it's just paper money and paper gains, right? So but that that's what they they kind of play this different game. Um, but I, I think we are, we're entering a phase in Southeast Asia where the quality is starting to get better. There are, people are seeing actual material returns, and and I think you know it's like you said, it's it's a, it's probably a great move for you to move from VC into startups. You know, it's uh, it's it's you know being the hundredth engineer at Google is just you know your life will be set if you if you got in yeah. that early, right? So it's it's not bad. Um, but then let's let's talk about your experience as a VC. You know, what was it like? What does it mean to be a VC in Thailand? Can you compare it to other regions? Maybe you were in Silicon Valley, so you saw that too. What about other countries you may know about? Um, so yes, uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to be you know or supremely expert. Uh, we didn't do as many yeah. you know we didn't do as many investment yeah. into startups like let's say 500. A lot of uh, stories yeah. I hear, experience are what I've heard from people in the industry as well. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. But in general, I think, you know, VCs in Thailand have an issue with decision-making. Um, it ties back into CVCs. Uh, fortunately, it's something that I didn't particularly have to go through because our investment yeah. committee are, are quite free in terms of their um, control. But a lot of these CVCs have, you know, investment, you know, investment committee people who come from the corporate side and 
sometimes they don't have that yeah. risk-taking mentality, understanding of startups. So a lot of investment that gets put through aren't what you what you would consider high risk or innovative per yeah. se. Uh, so mm. if you're even if it's a good startup and you know the people working VC thinks it's an interesting company, you're doing something very unique, uh, doing something very you know, very innovative, and there's a lot of upside. It's very good traction. It could still never get through the investment committee because they are just, you know, they don't understand what this company is. You know, like something yeah. as simple as like, hey, you told, this is the financial projection of this company you told me. And hey, look, after like six months or a year, it didn't match that financial projection. So it mu they must yeah. not be doing well. And this is like <laughs> very old school <laughs> and like this is during COVID, right? So like, obviously yeah. things change, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. Hey, this company only grow by 5% when they're supposed to grow by 50%. Uh, so that means they must be doing bad. But on the flip side, it's like they grew despite of COVID, right? Yeah. They're doing really well, uh, to just, you know, any startups that, you know, should, you know, should be doing really well during COVID if they're even growing. Uh, if you're in certain sectors that, that heavily impacted. Uh, so those are some like anecdotes that I hear about and, you know, it's frustrating to hear because yeah, there is that mismatch of incentives. Uh, cause I can understand from the investment committee point of view, if you're, let's say you are a C level or a manager level that you get put on the investment committee, right? You're yeah. also not financially invested into the success of the, of the, of the corporate venture Correct. capital, right? Yeah. If this becomes massively successful, you're not seeing that into your own pocket. Your yeah. mentality is almost safeguarding. You're just making sure it doesn't massively implode that it could lead back to you, uh, making the state. Well, a good example of this is with, uh, I don't know if we should name names, but like, well, actually it's public, right? So uh, central group bought Zalora from Vietnam. Right, so they bought Zalora Vietnam, and it, was, it wasn't it wasn't a crazy deal. It was something like ten million, but then uh, I know I I know the team that because I I helped build the team there, and they went through this whole transition, but but eventually it just went very quiet, and then you know you don't hear anything anymore. So it's exactly what you said, right? It almost seems like they're trying to do this to signal, but then it's very hard to actually integrate. But then you know the, maybe they do integrate some things into it, but then you know essentially just typical you know M and A story. You know, you acquire, then it just disappears, and then you don't actually get real innovation or change. Yeah. So actually, this goes back to like what we talked. Uh, what I mentioned is that you think that when uh, a corporate, uh, a company invests into you, they're investing into your success. Yeah. Like it's always yeah, not the case not. because because if you think about uh, a corporate, like especially in Asia, right? It's not one single entity with one single purpose. It's almost like yeah. a, if you're a large company, then it's almost like a fiefdom in there. Like you have different Correct. department heads, uh, you have different subsidiary companies, sometimes even family members with its own conflict, uh, you know, internal dynamics that you don't, or you're not aware of, you know, people have different, uh, yeah. are incentivized differently. Uh, so maybe you, you have your own stakeholder within that company that would like to see yeah. you succeed but not everybody in that company possibly wanted you to succeed or have no incentive do, do you know, to actually see you succeed. Do, do you watch the TV show Succession? I have not. I have not. You, you Okay, but but essentially there, there's an arc in the story where what, exactly what you're describing is that they, this old 
media company acquires this younger internet media company. And essentially the one of the sons wanted to you know, bring it on and he was invested in the success, but the other siblings didn't give a fuck. The father didn't give a fuck. And so essentially what happened is they ended up stripping the company for the value and they basically fired like 90, 90% of the people, but kept the only things that would actually make money at the end of the day. Uh, so they don't really care about your vision. They don't care about your team or your people. And they're very ruthless about it. But, but I mean, it's a pretty good, pretty good TV series that talks about, you know, family business inheriting and also, you know, this old age versus new age kind of dynamic. I think you should probably check it out. You would, you would like to show probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so when you work with corporate company, you got to really understand that I'm not saying that it's yeah. always a bad idea. Uh, it could, you know, if you, but you got to know what you're getting yourself into and you got to be careful of how you do things. Like I wouldn't bank on making sure that this corporate is definitely yeah. going to implement my product within their system. Cause sometimes it's not even something drastic, right? It's like the corporate venture capital invests into you in a product. They themselves have to go sell internally and said, Hey, you Correct. as a, yeah. this department, you should use this product. And they were saying, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I'm used to doing, you know, this system. I well, don't want to switch over. They, they say yes, but then they don't use it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even if you think about it, if you're an early stage company, you have a product, right? Uh, that product's not going to be hundred percent from day one, like have all these features that would really solve an issue for a big conglomerate or a company. Yeah. And if you're, if you're on the other side, trying to implement the software, you're going to pick the one that like fits your need today and making yeah, sure that it doesn't break down uh, yeah. versus invest versus integrating something that yeah the company like sort of invests into this company we own partial of it but yeah. it might break and it might make myself look bad to my boss because if they ask why it breaks like i can't just say the software sucks because they'll say yeah. why did you choose the software to begin with so true so that's why, you know, it's always hard to say if you have a strategic value that also, yes, okay, you invest into me, you have this platform, how committed are you and how easy it is for me to leverage on your ecosystem or on your platform yeah. for me to grow? That's also the next question when, when you talk to these CVCs. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the flip side then. There, there has to be purely traditional type VCs, uh, just financially focused, sector focused, got a thesis. Uh, who, what are the good brand names that you respect or, or know about or that people respect in Thailand? Or, the, or is there none? <laughs> uh, people like 500. Um, okay. They have a good brand. They invest into a lot, but they localize well too. I, they localize well, but I think the issue here is that maybe it's it's almost more marketing heavy than correct. Yeah. And and I see a lot uh, here in Asia is that maybe because the the understanding of the startup world is not as deep, people get you know it's more shallow maybe. Uh, so yeah. a lot of people who became these well-known figures are people who have marketed themselves really well. Yeah, correct. That's true. Uh, not to say these people aren't great, but they seem to be almost 50, 50 or more focused on building their branding than yeah. building value. Um, you know, there's a lot of other startups. Yeah. You probably know a lot of founders who you yourself 
when you know their story, you'll have a massively more respect for that person. But the wider public does never yeah. heard of the story because that person may be Correct. averse yeah. to marking themselves as much. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, then you just have people who sort of chase the limelight <clears throat> more yeah. than chasing, you know, real innovation. Well, the, the the crazy part is that if you keep doing the game long enough, as long as it's like, say, like a, a very consistent system and you manage risk like 500, even if it's like started as a brand oriented type person, you know, like you could see the exits happening this year. It becomes self-fulfilling to a degree for, for some people, you know, like, yeah. so like it, there, there is this element of fake it to make it where it actually, you know, it does actually manifest into reality, which is crazy. On the flip side, other people just keep falling, falling forward without creating real value and being very shallow too. So, I mean, I, I think, um, I guess that's quite common across the region. And I guess what you're saying is that you see that also in Thailand, right? But maybe also because of the quality of the media, um, the media doesn't, have an understanding so they tend to when i think they want to cover yeah, things on startup they sort of gravitate to mm, it's almost an influencer Stories, type yeah. right because if you're not in yeah, right, entrenched right, right. into the system you don't know anybody then you say i need correct, to cover yeah. a story on startup i need to cover a story on technology yeah. who do i go for i go yeah. for these you know types of people in the limelight uh and that's sort of mm -hmm. self-fulfilling prophecy because you see the same people popping up in media over and over again like yeah. even myself right because i consume the media uh, just like an average person, uh, maybe I've missed certain names that flies under my radar that I haven't heard of, uh, that doesn't come to yeah. mind instantly that they're doing, you know, all these cool stuff that, that yeah. I haven't really heard of. And that's, that's what I've been realizing. Like I, I've been doing more angel investments and I, and I realized like, because of my immediate network and I, the people who are just building for the rest of their lives, like we're talking multi-decade building, um, if you have a good relationship it's like, how much value can you help each other, right? And I think that's the kind of type of you know, investors or and founder relationships we kind of need. Founder friendly, but also investors adding real value versus you know the a lot of the noise that we kind of see in the market. So um, I, I do think there is some hope, but it's just, takes more time, like, you know, like doing more podcasts like this, just shedding the light and, uh, get, you know, spreading the education helps help us get to a better, more mature market. Um, with that in mind though, would you say then there's no, uh, I guess from the Thailand perspective is, is, is it just purely money then and everything else is just marketing? Or do you actually feel that there are some investors who really can add value and are worthwhile taking aside from the brand name and signaling? I mean, that's obvious. So if you get a 500, you get a Sequoia, you get a YC. Yeah that's going to open doors, but are they materially helping you when you're struggling? And most of the times, you know, because they do so many investments and small amounts, they're not going to talk to you probably unless, you know, you're directly in their the critical path or you know them personally very well, or unless you're doing very well, then, then they're interested. Right. So what is your take? Is it all Kabuki or is it, and is it just money or are there actual valuable investors and VCs that you know about? Um, I don't, I, like I said, I don't think I want to name names per se, because one, I don't yeah, know enough how they operate. Uh, but I would say they're probably good enough uh, VCs out there that work closely with you. What what people need to understand also is VCs is is a resource, right? As much as yeah. they invest into you as a startup, like you yourself also have to reach out to your VC to ask for help yeah, and understanding how what value you can ask from them. Uh, mm. it's like any relationship, right? Like people don't know how to help you unless you tell them you need help. And that's True. always in communication. Like a lot, you have a lot of star founders who, what, once you take their money, they sort of never tells you what they're doing anymore. 
And as an investor, <laughs> you also don't like, like, how do you help a company that you don't know what they're doing? You don't know anything about. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. it's, it's, it's that it's a relationship, relationship type game where, yeah, if you, 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 you take their money, you make sure you follow up with them and you talk to them. Uh, you communicate yeah. in a way that you say, you know, these are my accomplishments. Uh, these are what we're looking for. These are my gaps. You know, you never know. Maybe, you know, you blast an email yeah. to all of your investor pool. Uh, one of them will say, hey, I, I like know this person. Uh, uh, yeah. I can connect you to them. I know this. I went through this. I can help you. Um, I guess in that in that way, VCs uh, are almost your brand ambassadors, right? If you always tell yeah. them, if they like your brand and they know what you do, you know, they're always going to talk about you to other people. And that's where it creates yeah, almost like a network effect of like re making your name go out to people who who are in the network that could help you in potential, yeah. like in the same industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's relationship building at the end of the day. And the more you invest in it, the higher quality returns. So, and it goes two ways. Two, it's a two-way street. Uh, but that, that being said, did you invest in founders like that? Like flaky founders? Or what, what was your experience like on understanding founders now? Let's, let's talk about the founder side. Uh, there's definitely that. Uh, I think founders tend to don't want to share bad news uh, to investors. Uh, and... And that's not great, right? Because you are, yeah. if you're an investor, you're invested in your company, you want to get the bad news almost more than the good news because you want to make sure that the right. bad news is contained uh, versus, yeah. you know, a good news is great to celebrate, right? But most of the times you want to make sure that the bad news doesn't escalate. Yeah, the risk doesn't yeah. escalate. Uh, because if you're a financial VC, then you do have people you have to report to. And as much as you can report the good news, the bad news is what like going to get you yelled at, right? It's like, well, how did you let this yeah, company correct. become this way? Uh, and, well, yeah. and cleaning up that mess, uh, it's a much harder proposition than if you like can mitigate it right from the beginning. So most investors, True. right? Uh, ones that are, ones that are, you know, focused on being hands-on, you got to also keep them close uh, to, to make sure that, you know, they can actually help you and don't treat them yeah. as like an outsider. Be transparent, I would say. So working in VC for four or five years, what kind of founders have become? What what is the quality of founder in Thailand? What, how would you categorize them, and uh, what would you have to say in general about the you know, the players in the ecosystem? Different pools of of people. Um, you most of the there are quality ones. Uh, I guess these tend to be people who are uh, highly educated either in top universities here or abroad. Uh, some are connected themselves, so you know they come with a certain degree of understanding of how the VC works. You also see a lot of founders who don't understand how VCs work, um, and that that's basically because the uh, ecosystem is maturing. So you, it's still it's still an early stage of people trying to understand what, how VC works. Because um, there's something that I also uh, think about a lot. Because uh, Thailand, you know, in terms of language and quality of media, right? So if you're mm. Thai, an average Thai person, and you don't speak English, you're almost only going to consume Thai content. Right, yeah. And right. maybe that content is not as varied or as in-depth uh, as content in English. So if you can't yeah. speak English, you're almost, you know, contained or, or have this obstacle where you're only limited to whatever 
you can see uh, in Thai. And that sure. content, you know, if you have a publication who doesn't understand tech, then they're going to touch only on the briefs, you know, side and no, and, you know, analytical side of like, what's the implication of this news? Uh, for example, yeah. I mean, like, you see like, you know, this, this, this restructuring of the company, uh, yeah. and maybe you sort of, and then you see maybe some an analogical piece on, on this merger that somebody wrote on Facebook and shared or some on the news and they write it in a way that half of them probably is genuine in terms of writing of like their thoughts and understanding implications. But half of them, you know, that's sort of like yeah. a KOL piece, uh, probably bought by the media company that's sort of, you know, half, half being fed by the company and half being, you know, sort of original thinking. Uh, so you yeah. don't have like a really in-depth of like a supremely negative piece uh, and like mm -hmm. analyzing the situation and complications. Right. So like, for example, yeah. like, uh, I, we didn't mention, but like part of this restructuring where they're going to set up a joint venture uh cbc uh that they say is financial right and i don't see anybody yeah. think, talking about like this implication yeah. of strategic value <laughs> and financial not yeah. going together and you don't really see that as much in these types of pieces whereas That's if true. you're if, if if we're on the flip side if this were to happen in silicon valley right um immediately they would point out like this is conflict of interest like are you sure yeah, like it would be it could be quite negative in terms of certain aspect of the writing and people can yeah. consume, they can like understand the implication, uh, and think about, you know, all aspects of what this actually means, uh, to mm -hmm. the tech industry, to the company itself. Yeah. The, the media piece is very interesting, which means it's a challenge as well. If you're scaling across the region that from a marketing perspective, or even like if I'm creating media, I should probably have subtitles in Thai. I should have subtitles in, in Bahasa, right? So it, it's, you're right. Like you're, you're very limited to the, the worldview. And we're talking, if you want to be mass, because everyone talks about, oh, Southeast Asia, 600 million people. Yeah, but it's not that simple, right? It's, it's like literally fragmented and the cost increases exponentially with more expansion, right? So it's, it's not really this one for one, like China or US big market kind of situation. Yeah. So it's, it's people always oversimplify that and how, how, how tricky it is to be successful. Um, but with that in mind, then what is your take on what it takes to be a successful tech company in Thailand then? Um, I think you definitely need to have technologies and it, it's, it's always an interesting piece. Um, Hard to say. Let me, I, I need to consider this a bit. Um, so I guess if you divide sort of B2B and B2C type startups, I think you, yeah. the B2C side, uh, grow a lot quicker because maybe yeah. there's less regulations on that side. Correct. Uh, you know, it, you, you really almost just compete on speed of execution. So in that case, you see yeah. companies. Uh, startups that really become dominant within that space, uh, that, you know, corporates can't catch up to. If you're in the B2B space, then you definitely have, need to think about having a techno technological edge somehow that yeah. the corporates can't copy, uh, because here's the other yeah. pitfall, right? Even if somebody in, in the corporate invests into you, uh, maybe they invest in you to copy, uh, just to be frank, or maybe yeah. they'll. Maybe it's not to copy, but somebody within their feed them 
decide to operate a similar business just to compete with the company own investment. It could happen. Yeah. Um, so having that technology, technology edge and being going, becoming too big for corporates to catch up would be very, very important. I would say if you're, if you're operating in certain industry that connects to the corporate, otherwise I think B2C is very just speed and understanding, understanding the market, uh, really well and understanding your proposition and getting that traction. But speaking of, of B2C, it, uh, uh, from what I understand anecdotally, and I, I, I launched, you know, and pivoted the company in Thailand. Um, the, the, the feeling I've got talking to other entrepreneurs and founders is that the Thai consumers are a bit stickier. They're, they're harder to transition off some older habits that they're used to. And it, and it does take more effort. Is, does this tend to be true in your experience too? Do you, it's like, what, what is that insight? Is it a cultural thing or what, what's driving a stickiness or, you know, do you have to spend more money to acquire customers essentially? Right. So what, what do you think? Um, maybe partly is the education level. Maybe partly is a habit. You know, the older generation yeah. tends to be again, this anecdote, right? So like my parents' generation really just, you know, can't use certain things. Like for example, like yeah. grab like my dad, right. Sends wants to send grab you know, package to somebody or order food. They don't know how to do yeah. it. Even though know, you teach them 10 times, you, they don't know how to do it. Uh, and these are, you know, baby boomers, but high, yeah, but college edu uh, yeah. educated, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but, and, and these groups are the people that holds large amounts of money, money. but they're very, very yeah. used to certain ways that well, they do things. Like my dad for up until, because of COVID, he got the online banking. But before this, he was like, it's not safe. I don't want to have digital banking. <laughs> Right. And he only got, he, I feel like he only got it during COVID is because he doesn't want to go to the bank to do transfers and he doesn't want to use me because I, uh, I grumble too much and say, I'm not your like ATM transfer machine, transfer yeah, money yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. so you, that's anecdotally though, I, I, I agree. I, I see that yeah. in Malaysia too, with the older generation, they're, they're afraid that they press the wrong button. They lose all their money, which is like kind of mind blowing, yeah. but that, that's what, that's what it is. Um, and then well, Let's, let's so go ahead. Just, yeah. just a bit on this more, right? On the other flip side, right? The people, uh, the average person, um, are very technologically inept in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, you think people in the grassroots, um, you know, mid to lower income people who actually doesn't quite understand how to do how to use a phone, uh, even yeah. you, going very deep, right? You they they also can do things. So on the flip side, right? So for example, my needs also doesn't know how to do digital banking and they would come wow, to me and give me cash and say, can you help me transfer money to their relative out in the provinces? Wow. Uh, so okay. then that also happens. Uh, sometimes they'll be like, oh, can you help me? I, I could figure out how to like make my phone ring. And you also see this in, in terms of COVID vaccine registration where the government needs to have both the digital sort of registration system, but also a... Yeah a brick and mortar, like in-person registration, uh, for any of like, government subsidies or, um, vaccine, because the average, you know, I would say the average, but a certain group that a large demographic of people in Thailand cannot, uh, cannot use, you know, technology the way, the way you want them to. I, I think that's a huge insight because. 2021, everyone understands that mobile and internet is just ubiquitous. 
that that's the narrative because we're in an elite bubble and we just echo chamber ourselves. But like, and then people will say things like, oh, 600 million people, then they'll say, oh, yes, but there's this, you know, massive population that's unbanked too. But I, I guess they don't factor, you know, you, a real founder has to go down and talk to the users of to, you know, actually understand yeah. the pain point. And it's like you said, they're not as educated and, you know, that's going to feed into your acquisition costs or your customer care teams. That's just going to be a lot more challenging than probably people think. Uh, in, in the long run. So I guess if you want to be successful, you know, you yeah. have to really dig down and, and, and figure all that kind of stuff out. Right. Um, and actually and also, like, on this that, point, now bring, yeah, go ahead. sorry, just like on this point, right. brings up something that, that I find uh, interesting as a thought experiment is that because people have, are so, um, have a certain way that it work. A lot of times, sometimes yeah. solutions that work here in this market aren't always the most advanced solution. Like Neil yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley, they're talking about like, oh, you don't want to be a faster horse. You want to be like the next generation of transportation that's faster. Like if you're a car, then you want to be a plane. Uh, but here yeah, sure. in, 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 in Asia, in Thailand, uh, you want to be a faster horse in the beginning because you want you to want gradually make people understand how it works. If you if people are used to walking and you tell them how yeah. to, you know, do warp speed, they're going to freak out and not do it, even though it would massively put <laughs> yeah. their life, right? They can't, they just don't, can't, yeah, doesn't right. understand it. So yeah. it's almost like, Hey, yeah. you don't have to walk. You can run, uh, you can, you know, ride a horse and then yeah. gradually move them up and, yeah. and almost like you don't need to offer the best solution out there. You just have to offer some things better that they can use and grab that market and gradually move up your yeah. technology solution stack with your captured uh, people. Cause like yeah. you said, right. If people are very used to the way, if, if they're used and the stickiness is high, then they're going to stick to your platform. They trust your platform and they're Correct. just going to keep using your platform. And you I can think, see yeah, what like it's, instant messaging, right. It's not a line right. dominance, right. But sometimes you no use, I use line and I think line is like not the best solution. Like Thai people use line <laughs> for for work and for like, uh, for personal, personal use and for work. Like I yeah, always think, why can't, why, you know, people use it as a WhatsApp and a Slack together, roll in one. Correct. And line yeah, is yeah, not yeah. meant to use for work. Line is not meant to be a Slack. Yeah. But I mean, essentially that's how it could possibly evolve and innovate because if that's the user behavior preference, you kind of have to, it's like you said, you have to follow it, right? So, so you end up getting different innovation pieces and, um, is that what happened with Gojek then? Like, why were they not able to be successful in Thailand? You would think they raised too much money. They should be able to get some market share and be sticky, but they decided to exit the market instead. Well, uh, in the beginning. I thought it was because they came late. They yeah. came, they came when the market was semi-saturated. There was big players. There was a uh, grab, there was line man, yeah. there's food Panda, uh, that, you know, in any markets when you have three, that's sort of, you almost just like, it's hard to, to introduce a fourth person, fourth player yeah. into the saturated market. Uh, yeah. but interestingly, there, one of the local banks here launched their own uh ride uh food delivery deliveries uh system to compete with grab and lineman and food panda and i think a significant yeah. portion of people actually use them so i i would say they probably have a significant um market share i'm not sure what's the number what the number is like yeah. in terms of the breakdown 
So it sort of de defeats the, you need to be, you're coming into a saturated market. And I think it comes down to marketing. Maybe it's a bit of nationalism, a bit of good marketing, a bit of good, you know, fee management. So in the beginning, when they launched it, they said, they're not going to charge any GP uh, from restaurants. They're not going to, they're trying to charge very, very low for ride hailing. Uh, and yeah. then they launched right before COVID. Uh, and honestly, I use them a lot. Uh, and oh, yeah, you know, wow. okay. I, I'm the type of consumer that flips through all of them, uh, to see, cause, cause oh, the rest, the restaurants doesn't, it's not all on all the platforms. Like some are on here, some are on Correct. there. Uh, you can sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. cycle through them. Uh, and you know, now we have four players competing in the same space. So I yeah. guess Gojek probably did not do enough marketing. They didn't do enough differentiation. Uh, maybe it was just bad yeah. timing because, you know, with COVID, the demand just shot up, uh, that, yeah. you know, people just cycle through all of them because if this one doesn't do, doesn't have enough, um, you know, takes too long, then they kind of go through the other platform. So maybe, maybe it's just bad timing. Maybe it's just not committed enough to, to grow in their market share. I mean, also they don't maybe have a good cash cow because uh, Shopee's coming in, Shopee Foods coming in. I see Shopee uh, motorbikes all over around Malaysia now. Uh, apparently on their, their earnings report, they're, they're saying Vietnam is the number one market in food already, even though they have entrenched players like Grab and all the local guys um, that are the local heroes too, right, in Vietnam. So it's, it seems mm -hmm. that, you know, and then you have Air Asia who bought the, you know, bought over Gojek. So you have more players coming in. So I guess from a consumer's perspective, it's, it's better for you. Uh, but it, it's, 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 I guess the question is like, you know, why, 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 can they, why don't they stick, you know, especially in a market like Thailand? Maybe, maybe it's a branding, right? Because um, yeah. Gojek is new. You know, Thai people have never heard of them. So maybe it's just, mm, interesting. they would need to spend way more to make sure that the yeah. brand name sticks and people understand what the brand name is. It also didn't help that when they first came in, they branded themselves as Get. That's uh, so weird, yeah. Uh, really weird. Potentially because, you know, the word Get is like sort of a derogatory name to call the Chinese person. And like it contains a little <laughs> bit of like a negative connotation, right? Uh, the, the word Get. Uh, it's high. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's why like, the name doesn't quite work here. Um, and maybe the reason why the fourth player that I mentioned works because they leverage on the brand trust, the brand recognition yeah. of the bank itself. So they know like, oh, it's not just new random thing. It's, it's basically operated by a well-known bank with, you know, tens of millions of, of customers already that, that understand and know. And it's, it also helps that they have the integration right from the beginning to their, you know, um, online payment, your account. So you have a bank account, Correct. you ordered it you directly, linked directly, then you could just pay it without having to deal with cash. Uh, yeah. And it, it does help with, and that's part, that's actually one of the reasons why I like uh, this one rather than others like Lineman, where Lineman still has to do a lot of, when you order a certain restaurant that deals only with cash, like the really mom and pop store, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in Lineman, they still want cash, right? But, in, but I see. they will receive, bank transfer. And the reason is they don't do credits. So if they mm. you transfer the money to them, you have that infrastructure ready, then it's the same. It, for the user part of you, it's as easy as credit card because you don't have to touch Correct. cash. You just transfer it to them uh, with your online banking. Um, but from the merchant part of you, you get cash right away. So 
Yeah, so it's essentially it's a combination of product and marketing. I, I like that insight a lot because if you really look at the guys who are entrenched, like Anthony Tan, when we were competing on Rideshare with Easy Taxi, he was not afraid to spend way more. Well, he had more money. Maybe yeah. not initially, but he he wasn't afraid to spend more aggressively. And if you look at Shopee, like the one reason why I feel they've done better than Lazada was because once they've got the scale, of course, it's assortment and price, to, you know, basic e-commerce one-on-one. But what they did better was was top-line marketing. You know, they yeah. innovated so much, like the commercial spaces, the superstars, the the, the, the yeah. jingles. Like this yeah, is like jingle, old man. stuff. The shark. Old, old stuff. <laughs> like, but like, but like, it was new for e-commerce itself and the channels they were pushing it in. Right. So like it's, it's a combination of like somewhat new, but old that works well, but not being afraid to be aggressive. And I think that like that top line, I feel goes really, it goes a long way for recognition, which builds into more stickiness long term. Now, of course, that's a question of short and medium term, long, long term. Well, you know, a few decades, we'll see if that's really going to work yeah. or not. Or if someone else comes with more money then then, you know, but um, I, I think it's a good insight of why Gojek probably couldn't probably persist for Thailand specifically. Um, with that in mind, though, so what do you think is the future of the Thai ecosystem for startups, for VC, for corporates? How does that look like for Thailand itself? Um, the future of Thai ecosystem, I think in the short term, it's going to be still heavily dominated by corporations. Um, what I'd like to see is that, you know, as we talked about, you know, people who went through this sort of process, uh, using corporate as sort of a launch pad for their entrepreneurship uh, passion. Yeah. to come out and launch their own startups. I think, I think like any industry, uh, any other ecosystem, Thailand still lacks this big, you know, winner that really puts mm. people like map on it, right? Where, oh my God, mm. I want to be the next grab, right? We don't have a grab. Yeah. Uh, like a we recently sort of have, yeah, or the next Gojek or, you know, the next uh, Toppy, or, you know, where, it really inspires people and shows that there's a possible path and also shows investors yeah. that if you bet in a local company mm. really, really early, you could really, really win big. Uh, and I don't think yeah. there's enough of that here yet that you can say, mm. um, we just need that first. Right. Uh, so I think, I think in the future there will be, uh, hopefully, you know, Thailand is still obsessed about getting that unicorn status. Technically, we do have, I think, two unicorns now. Uh, one was yeah. Flash uh, in logistics, yeah, logistics, and one yeah. was Ascend. Uh, but that, again, Ascend is is you know sort of a corporate it's venture corporate. build type, corporate, yeah. right? So you can you can discount that a bit <laughs> where you say like you know, not really, <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah, the real true uh, unicorn, yeah. but. You know, it's, I think I think we're just lacking that first one. And once you have that, then then maybe the front gate will open. Uh, this sort yeah. of leads me to maybe uh, my involvement in you know, early involvement in cryptocurrency because I think that's an interesting new development in the ecosystem that that is really solves a lot of issue, right? So for a cryptocurrency project, you know, sometimes you don't need a large team. Uh, you go yeah. straight to your token launch, and suddenly you you get a lot of access to funding without the without going the traditional route, right? You can go straight to the yeah. the token, the cryptocurrency market, access to that liquidity, uh, and a matter of you know you're suddenly connecting to the wider global markets uh, mm -hmm. to for you to raise your your money to develop your platform or your company. So in a way, it's almost like 
uh, that Silicon Valley type story where, you know, two guys in a garage built, a, you know, a startup that changed the world yeah. where potentially, yeah, you can have, you know, a few guys in a room uh, working, not even in a room, like working remotely in their homes, building this new protocol uh, that solves a specific issue because, the, you know, the opportunity is so large with, because it's so new. And going out and raise money and having enough money to build a real company, a built company, uh, a real like, you know, working company startup with a bigger goal. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a good insight because and to me, is that is that like a very Thai specific thing? Like, it feels like all my friends who are in startups or investing are doing crypto in Thailand or they're getting sucked into it. Um, or do you think this just happens? My, I think my what, what I noticed, right, is community like large communities of cryptocurrency like countries with large cryptocurrency communities or growing cryptocurrency communities yeah maybe one of the factors of that is the confidence in in the government uh, political unrest right so yeah in a way <laughs> your cryptocurrency that's, that's offers, a good point. offers this sort of way of like yeah. i don't want to be restricted by regulations like through this yeah. i want to like going out and like just being straight uh having more control having that um i don't trust a centralized system i want i trust yeah. more in this decentralized system and and combine that with also this the fact that cryptocurrency offers us you know in general in economic terms a higher yield a higher potential return Correct. um you know, the sort of return where you don't see if you put your your money in your bank, you don't see from buying bonds or gold. Uh, yeah. You might see that from buying, let's say, stocks. Uh, but Growth that's stocks, always yeah. been, you know, uh, the penetration for stocks uh, trading is still very low in Thailand. Uh, it's still it's yeah. still a rich people's game, right? So in a way, yeah. and, and certain stocks you can't buy because you need a, a larger amount of... Um, capital in order to to play with a certain stocks because uh, just because of the Correct. stock price um and also just to trust that if you're just doing stock market in thailand obviously there's some manipulation from people players involved but it's it's manipulation within a smaller circle uh but yeah. whereas if you go to cryptocurrency obviously there are manipulations but it's more transparent in a way uh, there yeah. are ways people can figure out like who's doing what. Like there's this thing right called whale watchers, uh, where you watch yeah. like the big wallets and see what they're doing. So in a way, like mm. if you're if you if you trade in, in the cryptocurrency market, there are ways for you to have more insight and have more information than if you are just yeah. trading in your local securities exchange. Uh, and That's you true. can, and, and, and just like on steroids, so you can all, you can do it 24 seven. Um, you know, it's the return for each day, the swing is so high that you can generate, like, if you're really smart about it, you're like, know how to do technical analysis. If you like, uh, know what you're doing, you can get like a large return and then it goes in the same thing. You have, you know, somebody who got rich to cryptocurrency and you want to be that guy. Yeah. Why can't I be that yeah. guy? That guy okay. just trades so, for like so, a yeah. year, you know, and now he has a Porsche. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so there's a limit of the noise, but I think you're right. I think the te technology itself is bringing a lot to the table. With that in mind, then, what is your thesis on crypto thus far? I mean, you left VC, but you went straight to crypto. 
it seems a lot of people in Thailand are going to crypto, like what you mentioned about the community. And you're right, there's this whole movement of, uh, especially for Thailand itself, that I could see people being zealous about it because the instability of, you know, between changing governments, especially across Southeast Asia, that's common. Um, how do you see crypto unfolding? What's the vision or what's your thesis or what's your bet that, that did you want to go work in this space? Well, I, I see cryptocurrency as sort of a, a new financial uh, markets uh, yeah. that's building, you know, if you look in the traditional, what do you call it, decentralized finance or C5 uh, building, it, it gradually builds over, over the time, right? You know, the stock market didn't last forever. Like the, the whole like speculation, yeah. you know, um, happens with the you know, tulips that happened hundred, hundred, I don't know how many years ago it took, it developed gradually until it becomes what it is today. But what you see is that yeah. in the cryptocurrency world, things are developing almost in the same way. You you are there's a need to build out all these similar services and and products similar to what uh, the traditional financial services has, but they're building it faster and much quicker yeah. um, and much more intense. So you're almost building this entire entirely new financial markets within the span of you know a decade versus hundreds of years. Um, yeah, true. And in a way, like if you, and I think it, there's some similarities to commerce market where, you know, you have brick and mortar, but you have, you know, online um, retailers like Amazon, right? So when Amazon came up, you know, people were like, you're making a loss every year. Uh, yeah. But now they're one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, but at the same time, brick and mortar still exists. So you might see that in a way where for a long time, both CFI and DeFi world uh, will coexist together. Uh, market share might shift, uh, but I think there are many gaps in terms of services uh, to people that traditional finance uh, system can solve or doesn't address well enough mm. that there's an opportunity for um, for blockchain companies for cryptocurrency to address. You know, we talked about the yeah. unbanked, underbanked population, right? And that's yeah. a large part. Um, but even beyond that, like you think about like what banks do in in as a as a function is a trusted intermediary, right? So if you can replace that with a protocol, which is still a trusted intermediary, a protocol is much cheaper to run than a whole bank. Yeah. So what happens like any other industries where you you make the middle band more efficient or cheaper is that you can distribute the saving in values to the participants Damn, so everybody yep. sort of you know so people uh yeah. benefits from it you know and like very easily we talked about like if you save your money at a bank you get one percent but at the same time you borrow yeah. from a bank in terms of your credit card they charge you 20 28 percent right so yeah. that spread it's sort of what the banks you know collects uh, as a profit of course there's some yeah. you know operational profits but what if through DeFi you connect through that really easily where you go and you get the yield products that are may let's say ten percent, yeah. right? And then somebody borrows it gets twenty percent or twenty-five percent or fifteen percent or whatnot. Yeah. That spread becomes smaller in the middle, uh, but it increases on both ends. So people who who let who lends the money or saves the money in the system earns a much higher yield, and the people who borrows gets it at a at a lower yield. You know, so so that in that way, I think you know, blockchain company can offer a much better product um, 
than, than the traditional financial services industry. And also if you look in terms of even just the beyond the borders, right? So if you are, let's say, uh, an individual or company in Thailand, you want to invest into an asset in Indonesia right now, it's yeah. difficult. Like, how do you do that? Right. But by yeah, digitizing all these assets, you know, you see synthetic assets, you see like, um, you know, you see like your know, people who, who took Tesla stocks and mimic it on blockchain so people can trade it. Correct. Right. Yeah. And it's because people want to trade Tesla stocks. They're very interested in buying yeah. Tesla stocks, but they can't because they can't, they can't open a bank account uh, in America or in, they can't the trade through yeah. an exchange in the US, but they still want to participate yeah. in the Tesla story. Right. So blockchain offers yeah. a very altern a good alternative for them for them to get exposure to that you know, type of asset. So in yeah. a way, yeah, I see that is something that, that, that blockchain technology can offer, that cryptocurrency can address. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, th I think we are seeing like the start of something new in terms of like what Thailand can do, like what the opportunities is anything that's new, you always have new players coming in, but eventually at some point you're, will be a consolidation of power, I would say, where you have an yeah. ecosystem of, you know, when you think about startups, you think of Silicon Valley, right? Uh, but when you think about blockchain, there, is there a hub? of blockchain engineers, of blockchain companies yeah. that dominates the industry. Maybe not. Maybe that's an opportunity for any new ecosystem to look at. Hey, wait, Correct. if you're, if you want to be the next destination for technology development, um, maybe invest into creating a very, very good, have like uh, reg both regulation wise and talent or whatnot yeah. uh, for cryptocurrency, then maybe you'll, you'll be a destination where companies want to come and say, I want to be based in Bangkok, right? Because I, I think in, yeah. in, in Thailand, there we always talk, talked about how how do you compete with Singapore as being a startup hub? Yeah. And there and the answer is you can't because yeah, uh, well, it's very very difficult to displace, right? Because there's some sticker that yeah. says, you know, Facebook already Google has a head office in Singapore. That's massive investment in terms of structuring, yeah. in terms of you know yeah. building up the team the over talent. there, like in terms of yeah. talent, like. They're not gonna. How how would you make them come and open a head office in Thailand? You would have to yeah, massively, correct. massively offer them huge incentives, or even pay them to come here, right? You would have to modernize your whole economy, which is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in terms of regulations, in terms of like taxation, yeah, yeah. you know, in terms of like infrastructure, visas everything. and everything. And it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, so, Maestro, why didn't you take this opportunity to bet on a new thing? Uh, Built new regulations that other, and I think Thailand does that is quite ahead of the curve because of you know cryptocurrency regulations. We do have uh, licenses for exchanges and uh, licenses yeah. for IT portals. Uh, you know they're coming out with a new crypto fund management license, so these licenses really help. Uh, you know, yeah, allow Thailand to be a little bit ahead of the curve, but there's so much more that you know if you bet really big then. Maybe Thailand would be the hub for cryptocurrency projects in Southeast Asia or in Asia. You know, that's an interesting path that uh, I think yeah. the government should look into building. I mean, it's a really good vision, right? Because essentially what you're saying, it's a rewriting of the financial modern system that's more efficient. And what happens, like you said, is that if you can pull this off, you kind of disrupt the monopolies or oligopolies that the banks have. So even, even like this whole fintech problem we talked about from the corporate side, 
that could get disrupted away. And it's it's kind of interesting that where you either you know centralize or you decouple. And what what I mean by that is that the you, the governments will either support it, and if they don't support it, they can't stop it. So you can self-regulate. You could have, you, you could be a global entity that doesn't need the government to do it. So it's almost in your interest to actually try and support it. And if you don't, then you, you know, the only way you could do it is if you completely outright ban it. But then people will be driven to other parts of the world where they are accepted and can self-regulate and convert it to whatever they want. Um, so it's it's just something you can't stop. So it's a very interesting that it's you know it's a more efficient mo- modern financial system. You can't stop it, and I think you're right. You know, I, I think that uh, if Thailand can get their regulation piece together, it's just going to help at least drive the talent to one place. And you do you do get network effects by being by being a Silicon Valley, and yeah. it's going to be interesting of who who does that, who can be ahead of that. Actually, I just want to touch on the regulations part. I think it's interesting, right? Because. Uh... As much as I'd say Thailand's ended up curve in having these regulation and licenses, we're almost, um, people in the industry is almost benefit from not having that regulation roadblock, right? Yeah. Where True. Uh, you, you in build, other industries, yeah. right, you're, you can build, uh, but the, the, the law says you can't do this, you can't do that. So you have to work to get a law change to get an alternative licenses yeah. in order to operate. But in cryptocurrency, because it's so new, uh, there's no law regulating it. There's no road bump to say yeah. you can't, it can't do this. People can just do it because it's in cryptocurrency. Yeah. The government doesn't say you can't do it. Uh, and you also you're almost either. benefiting from from the traditional powerhouses like China's bad at cryptocurrency, right? So you're, they're not going to yeah, be a center correct. of cryptocurrency there. America is still very cagey about the regulations. So people are like, yeah. no, I don't want to deal with SEC. Uh, so I don't want to really deal with Americans in terms of cryptocurrency. So it's a massive opportunity where you, what you see traditionally as a massive technology hub, not not promoting this this function or this this vertical. So there's an opportunity for other countries uh, to step up and, and sort of take over that that spot. I feel. Yeah. So and also then for my one of my last questions then is you know with this whole Asian Southeast Asian narrative, what is the role for Thailand? in the region then, or, or even the globe, if that makes sense. What, what do you think? Like, how do, how, do, how do you guys work together as a block? Or will it always forever be this kind of insular kind of thing that's fragmented and has its own moat and barriers? Um, this is a really good point. Um, and it, it really, uh, sorry to just go back on a lot of questions, but I think that's also one of the criticism yeah. of startups here or founders where they have this mentality of the insular mentality of I'm just going to be the best in Thailand versus going out regionally mm-hmm. or globally and or becoming globally. Yeah. And, and, and look beyond just Thailand. Right. Um, and I think, you know, in, I think Southeast Asia is still a very interesting region. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of more integration between different countries. Um, any countries alone, I think is not as interesting as a region total. Correct. Uh, so yeah. you'll see, except in you know, Indonesia, <laughs> except in Indonesia, yeah, except in Indonesia, obviously, because <laughs> they're so large. Yeah, yeah. But even even Indonesian companies, right? At some point, when they grow to a certain size in Indonesia, they yeah, need to they look go out, out, right? And and Correct. where else would they go? They got to go to Vietnam. They got to go to Thailand, where it's a large population. Yeah. They got to go Philippines. They got to go to you know Malaysia, yeah. Singapore. Uh, at some point, yeah. you know, um, to to for their growth and. And there's still an opportunity there. So I think we'll see a lot more integration uh, within Southeast yeah. Asia region. Um, you know, you think, I think 
I'm, I'm sure this insular mindset, you know, occurs in every ecosystem in every country here where, where people look inside rather than out. Um, and I think that will change gradually. I think Thailand still offers a lot of different strong points. Uh, I think in general, the small, medium sized businesses here are generally a bit stronger than other countries mm. in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a more robust, uh, stock exchange market here. Um, that's true. Yeah. Um, Thailand also, you know, still have a large amount of, um, I would say probably a contributors, not only in Indonesia, but a large, uh, middle-class, you know, newer generation or consumer. Cause I, I think in some ways, right. If you're the similarities between customer segments, uh, if you're, let's say you and me, right. We're probably more similar in terms of habits and lifestyle than let's say me yeah. and people, uh, in other parts of the country in Thailand. Right. So true. If you look at it that way, then if you want to expand, uh, you don't want to expand from top to bottom in terms of the customer segment. You want to expand horizontally to other countries where you capture the same types of customer that you know your product yeah. is a is a product market fit. Uh, except that that person yeah. is in is in another region and is in another country. Uh, but if yeah. you can crack, if you can crack in terms of the integration, in terms of regulation. And then it goes back to blockchain technology, right? I think one of the issue is how do you get money around? How do you work on like the product? You know, if as logistics improve, as money transferred improves, um, maybe you'll see, you know, situations where you're buying a, an e-commerce product, uh, that's, you know, in Malaysia and you get it in Thailand in let's say two, three days, right. Or vice versa, where, yeah. you know, you have a consumer products in Thailand, they're selling across region to Indonesia, to Malaysia, <laughs> to Singapore. Uh, that'd be very interesting to see. Uh, cause I think one of, one of the key yeah. products in, in, in this region is agricultural products, food products, right. Well, I was just going to say, if you could write the smart contracts to replicate customs, that would save a lot of people time and like all the middlemen just gone and then uh, products like the pricing would be accurate enough. Then you could flow. Yeah. Then you have a global commerce. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. 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 Cause I think, like, I mean, even, I think one of the markets I thought was interesting was uh, Thailand was one of the largest fruit exporter to, to China. Uh, yeah. You know, you have, you know, uh, Thai durians was really famous there. So you actually have Chinese yeah. buyers coming in and buying, Thai durians and just selling online mm -hmm. through their channels. Uh, so yeah. they're still middlemen, but you know, you see cross border, uh, fruit exports, right. Where it's sometimes sensitive, yeah. but because of improving logistics, improving payments, uh, you know, you could see maybe a direct to direct to farm, farm to table, uh, but cross border, yeah. right. It's just a cross border you know, yeah. food product, <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting to see. I, and then, and, and, and yeah. I'm sure, you know, as infrastructure improves, you know, you'll see that someday. Yeah, for sure. So then what are the questions you have that we could talk about in the future that you're still wondering about crypto? What, what, what is, what are the question marks and what are you not too sure about that you want to learn more about? Um, well, right now, uh, where I'm sorry, so I'm going through the process of, uh, uh, launching the the project, uh, we're listing our token next week, uh, we're launching a product. Yeah. It would be great. You know, probably be interesting, uh, for me to come back at some point in the future after going through this process, just to mm. share the process of what 
I went through. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of nuances and and you know things that happen behind the scenes that every project sort of goes through. That if you are new to it, you might not know, uh, or you might not something that you overlooked before. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay. you know, it's in a way, it's a very uh, B two C model of selling your project, right? Because you're selling you're selling your vision, you're selling pro your project, not to one yeah, VC true. or individual institutional investors, you still do that or for things like private placement rounds. But in terms of token yeah. circulation, you got to get your message out to the global community and get them to buy in in mass adoption. So it's almost going straight to consumer to to publish. It's like a roadshow, but for consumers, for right. individual investors. Yeah. So that's a, that's something that I find very interesting and and uh, something that uh, we're we're very busy doing right now. Yeah, I mean it's very exciting. Congratulations on the the upcoming launch, and I, I I'm sure it'll be the next highly used ranked token like Solana or something. Hopefully, in the future, where it's more efficient with more transactions, right? So we're we're all hoping um, here. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the I guess that that's the final plug. We should everyone should follow um, every every net. So every E V R Y, yeah, E V R Y net N E T, uh, which is based in Thailand. You're you're on the ground building it. And um, is there anything else we should know about, or if people want to contact you, how should they reach out to you? Uh, so we have a Twitter, uh, we have a Telegram. Uh, so if you go to Twitter. Very good, very good. <laughs> Yeah. So if you go to, uh, we, we did this, our website as well. So you can find, you know, everynet.io. Uh, you can find our media, okay. our social media channels through there. Um, and yeah, so you can reach out, you know, follow our project, you know, personally, if you want to, you know, reach out to me, LinkedIn, probably. Yeah. Well, I'll share it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I think it's a great place to end. So thank you for your time, Pat. Appreciate everything and for all your insights. Yeah. Thanks so much. Love talking to you. Alex. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. Thanks for listening to Pat's episode. If you enjoyed the content or learned something new, please share it with your friends or family or anyone who would benefit and give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. So what did we learn today? The Thai ecosystem is dynamic and large enough to be somewhat insular. But as Pat mentions, there are many challenges to building local national heroes that have a global impact. The crypto space seems very promising, but there are many things that have to mature from venture capital to local talent education and workforce and many more things if anything a cynical point out to a thesis of fragmentation with big barriers and moats of old bureaucracy and licenses especially in the banking and finance spaces which are well regulated however if you can solve those problems you're possibly looking at big blue ocean opportunities it's still early days so we'll definitely have pat come back and update us on how crypto is doing and how the ecosystem is developing see you guys back here for next week's episode eoa out